Hello Manchester City fans, welcome to this Talking City podcast with me, Sam Hutchison and Simon Baikowski. How are you, Simon, today? Yeah, very well. As good as the weather. And today we're going to be talking about the going-ons at City, then we'll preview Brighton, and then finally we'll listen to Pep Guardiola's pre-match pest conference. But there is some sombre news to start this day, I'm afraid, City fans. We have bade farewell to Manchester City legend Francis Lee this week. Simon, what sort of legacy does he leave behind at Man City? Huge, huge legacy, really. Um, you know, if you think about the the statues that are outside the Etihad, you've got Vincent Company, you've got Sergio Aguero, uh, and you've got David Silva, three kind of legends of the modern day Manchester City. And, uh, and very soon, outside the stadium, there will be a statue with Francis Lee, Colin Bell, and Mike Summerby to mark uh you know a trio of great footballers in a great footballing team who gave city one of their their greatest ever ever periods i think there's kind of like a you know a tendency to undersell city's history because they went down to the third division for a year in the 90s and it, it is a great comeback story but to focus on like city being a third division team would be to undersell the the long and rich kind of history they've had as a club which included bringing Franny Lee um, into the City team with Joe Merce from Malcolm Allison in the late 60s that sort of allowed him to spearhead the attack with Summer B and Bell and uh, won City the title, won them their European Cup Winners Cup as well as well as an FA Cup and League Cup but you know until this summer Francis Lee scored the winning goal in the the European final for for City, so you know, Rodri joins Franny Lee um, as players to have scored the winner in a in a European final. So uh, yeah, an an immense history, kind of a a larger than life character. He wasn't always popular. He made a fair few decisions when he came back as chairman uh, in the nineties that that didn't go down so well. But even people who disagreed with his decisions uh, would say that he always had you know, a love for City at the heart of every decision he made. And he, he's played for, you know, a number of other clubs. Bolton, Derby won the league with um, with Derby when he came back to City when he wasn't too happy about being sold. And England, of course, so he has got a history with other clubs and a, and a big history with other clubs. But he is kind of most associated with City because that felt like his, his home and, uh, yeah, uh, funeral was on Thursday at Manchester Cathedral, kind of a, a fitting tribute to him and there will be more tributes at the game to him on Saturday against Brighton. And if you do want to check out any footage from that funeral, we do have it available on the Manchester Evening News now. So you mentioned there that he had a really glittering career for England. I've just got it up here. He scored 10 goals in 27 appearances when appearances weren't quite as common <laughs> back in those days as they are now for England internationals. But England were in, well, in show, on show this yeah. week again. It was a really impressive performance, I thought. I just want to touch on that. City had four players start the game in Kyle Walker, John Stones, Calvin Phillips and Phil Foden. Yeah. Who really impressed you from that game? Not especially even City. Um, I mean, the, the sort of the link up for... Foden, Bellingham and, and Rashford for that goal was was very special. Kind of I I love Bellingham and he's a fantastic player. I feel like we're almost at kind of overhyped stage with Bellingham where like 
that goal was made to be all about him. And he had an important part, but the goal doesn't happen with without Foden's work on the edge of his own box. And it also doesn't happen without Rashford kind of carrying the ball a long way and making a lot of decisions before um, finishing well. So, you know, there was plenty plenty to that. Um, yeah, it was, it was a, a good performance and that is more like the team that you would probably expect to see at the Euros than the one that played against Australia with the sort of big question mark that we spoke about about Calvin Phillips who then talks about his future again and says, oh, maybe I will have to get more game time, which... Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't really know, sort of... He was very strong in summer, talking, saying he wants to say, fine, fair enough. Um, I don't really know what's changed for him. Like, I don't know that anything has changed at City, so it's almost like the change has just come from Phillips, where he wasn't... You know, it's the same picture for Phillips now that it was in summer when he said he would stay. So it's just whether he thought he would get in and now has decided that he hasn't. But if he wants to go in January to get more game time, he needs to line up a move now. Because if he wants to go, he should be going on the first day of the January window, as soon as it opens, so that he can play for as much time as possible before the Euros and stay in the team. Like He has been at City long enough to know that if a player wants to leave, they need to bring an offer to the club and they will accept it or not. But, you know, if Phillips doesn't want to be at City beyond January, he, there's no excuse for him not lining up a move now so he can move straight away. I mean, I was going to come on to that. Where do you think a realistic yeah. sort of place for him to end up? Because he has got a really... Yeah, a good bit of pedigree from his time at Leeds, at the very least. Yeah, yeah, and he's still important to England. You know, Southgate was Southgate was almost kind of making the suggestion that maybe this amount of game time is fine for him because he's still helping England. So yeah, I mean, Newcastle wanted him in summer uh, and may have a need for well, yeah, their midfield, midfield to yes. be strengthened um, and. Yeah, I, there were a lot of clubs interested in summer and there were also kind of, you know, his team weren't naive enough to blindly think that he was definitely staying at City no matter what. So they were also kind of um, putting out some, some interested feelers uh, towards the end of the window. So I I don't think it should be a problem for him to move. Certainly on loan, it will... I'd kind of, I wouldn't expect City to kick up a fuss over whether it's a loan or a permanent, but I would probably expect City to want to replace him, even if um, even if he's not contributing that much at the minute. Like I, that's not kind of information I've got. That's just top of my head what I would expect. But I wouldn't expect City to want their squad to get even smaller. Um, so again, if he does want to leave, you'd kind of want. City would want to know in advance so that they can um, plan to to bring someone in. But I wouldn't be surprised at all if it was kind of a, a loan in January with maybe a option for a permanent deal. I mean, like you say there, City squad is looking a little bit thin, so a replacement is probably needed if City lose anybody in January, really. Yeah. There is, you know, we're seeing a lot of younger players on the bench. We've seen a lot less experience on the bench than maybe we'd expect. 
And, you know, like you say, there is probably, even if he does go out on loan, there is probably a need to replace him pretty quickly in the January transfer window. John Stone's made his return for England. He hasn't returned for City yet, but do we think he's back fully fit or do we think that was more out of necessity that he is England's best centre-half? I mean, he must be closer to fully fit than he was. Um, I think it is just managing his fitness with Stones. You know, everyone knows how, how good he is when he's when he's at his peak. Um, even not at his peak, he can still come in and, and help and do a job for City. You know, he came off the bench um, at Arsenal when he was nil-nil. So he, he, I think we will see a lot more of him over this next month, but it is just a question of sort of how long he can keep that fitness for because he's not been fit all, all season, really. And then Kyle Walker partnered. Oh, well, he was on the right of defence whilst John Stones was at left centre-half. Is Kyle Walker England's best right-back, do you think, going right now and probably going into the Euros? Because there's a lot of competition there. It's probably the most stacked area of the England squad. Is Kyle Walker that best option for Southgate on that right side of defence? It feels like he is. Um, and there definitely were times where he wasn't. Um, but in terms of kind of like, Rhys James is has had a lot of injury problems. Trent Alexander-Arnold has kind of been found out defensively as a right-back to the extent that he's playing more games in midfield for Liverpool and England. Um, I think, you know, Kieran Trippier is someone who, he, well, he's a great player and also has kind of a lot of credit in the bank with Southgate. So you could sort of see occasions where you might want to play Trippier over Walker or you might want to play Walker inside and Trippier outside of him. Um but Walker is certainly enjoying a real purple patch at the minute and now he's kind of, you would think, an essential pick for the squad where maybe he wasn't a year ago or so. And, I mean, I think the, the star man on that night from City's contingent at the very least was Phil Foden. You mentioned yeah. him there where you were talking about Bellingham. I think Phil Foden's really found a home for himself in that England squad that maybe wasn't there in previous major tournaments. You know, there's always he's always been sort of competing to be playing off the right. I think Saka would probably still start off the right, but I think Foden's so versatile across pretty much that front four that I think he could pretty much play anywhere and fill in any gap that is left by, say, an injury closer to the tournament. Or, yeah. And he's pretty capable. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that is kind of an important point because, you know, you do get injuries cropping up and you can't always play sort of the best eleven. Uh, on on the pitch now, you would like to think that Foden would make a best England eleven, whatever. But with Bellingham now, kind of more as a ten, um, and if you want to play Saka and Rashford or Saka and Grealish, then then maybe um, there isn't. But again, it's just about who's being in form and um, kind of fit at the right time. And Foden had a lot of time last season where he wasn't injured or wasn't in form. I remember speaking to him after the last kind of the last Premier League game of the season actually at Brentford where he'd played himself into form but he still wasn't quite what you call the best eleven and, and he said like, you know, I hope I've put myself in contention and he and he didn't start the FA Cup final and he didn't start the Champions League final, but then he was called upon to replace De Bruyne after twenty five minutes in, in Istanbul and came on and did really well and played an important part. So, you know, I would be surprised if Foden didn't play 
an important role for England at the Euros, kind of however many times he, he starts or where he starts. And obviously the only, it's not the only news that England have been playing over this international break. There was reports that Messi had won his eighth Ballon d'Or ahead of Erling Haaland. Yeah. Do we think that's fair? Because let's be real, Messi disappeared to America halfway <laughs> through the season. Uh, mm, yeah, I mean, the, it's hard because, you know, players do do care about individual awards. Um, I, I think the, I don't know, the best way, I think international um, competitions carry a lot of clout. And you know the the story of Messi finally completing the his journey with Argentina and and winning the World Cup as he as he did is kind of a great one that does mask a pretty bang average year at club level. Um, Haaland has done amazing and has probably been the best footballer on the planet in terms of the year. Um, I you know I, I sort of think maybe. 10 years down the line, Haaland will be in a position where he's winning it ahead of a 23-year-old who's had a better year, but maybe Haaland kind of has earned that kind of legacy. Um, so, yeah, it is it it is what it is. Whoever wins, I don't think there can be two complaints because it, 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 it is, I don't know, I find it hard to get excited about these awards. Yeah, I mean, do you think Haaland's international allegiances sort of act against him in that sort of sense because like you say if he had been at the World Cup he probably would have scored a couple of goals at the very least yeah that looks a lot better as a overall package of the year yeah I think so um but even even if he had and if he'd scored a few goals you know Norway are never going to be competing to win World Cups I don't think while Haaland is is playing so it's kind of more about can he get to a World Cup with them can he sort of you know, get them to to the knockout stage and maybe a, a surprise run. But it's um, if if Haaland keeps doing what he's doing, he's going to win multiple Ballon d'Ors. Yeah, you'd hope so, wouldn't you? And we do need him to get back into form for City. He has, like, we, we, we've touched on it a lot in recent podcasts. Yeah. He's not quite hit the levels of last season, whilst not really, not, still, he's still scoring loads of goals, yeah. but he's not really quite hit those levels of last season. We need him to start yeah. hitting the back of the net. Yeah, again, it's um, I find it hard to criticise him too deeply because, you know, he, he can score three in any game. Yeah. And if he scores three on Saturday, then loads of analysis of why he's out of form quickly looks a bit redundant. So, um, yeah, I don't... I, he, he scored two great goals or two goals in the international break. One of them was very good. Um so I I think he will be fine. And Brighton are not a team who have been able to keep many clean sheets recently um, and a very forward thinking under Roberto De Zerbi. So I would expect Haaland to get probably more chances in this Brighton game than he's had for a good while in a City shirt. I mean, he is here. I mean, I'm looking at XG stats on the fly here. Man City, by expected goals, are second in the Premier League. That is one place off where they are in reality. Yeah. So you'd expect more of these chances that City create because that's 
really yeah, the key, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. You'd expect him to yeah. be starting. But also, I think Haaland is two or three goals ahead in the Golden Boot. Yeah. Um, so, how many has he got in the league? He's got this eight, season? eight yeah. and eight. Well, he's only he's only underperforming that by no, uh, 0.66. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. He, he, is he really having bad form, or is he just not scoring hat tricks every week, and yeah. that's being picked up by them? The media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he, he he should have scored more goals this season, absolutely. But um, but he he will score a lot of goals. That's the the thing. Right. So that brings part one to an end. In part two, we are going to preview this weekend's clash against Brighton. Welcome back, City fans, to part two of the Talking City podcast. We are going to discuss this Brighton game. It's really been built up as this sort of real test, but I've just got some stats here. You know, City have only ever lost once to Brighton in the Premier League. Brighton have never won an away league game at Man City in their history. Is it really what all it's been built up to be? I think Brighton and certainly Roberto De Zerbi's Brighton are a horrible team to face. They they don't care about reputation. They don't care about these past stats or whatever. They don't care about what game you want to play. They impose as much as they can their football on the game, and you have to deal with it. You know, it, it's it's been really refreshing to to watch someone try something different and someone who can. You know, come in instantly and um, sort of upset the the established clubs. You know, I, I think Graham Potter's a terrific coach, and I think he did really well at Brighton. Um, but it always, you know, I remember they came to Brighton and uh, they came to City, and Guardiola said afterwards, you know, that is the that is the best display from an opposition team I've seen. And see, they'd either won four nil or five nil, and it was like, right, it might be a great display, but they've got battered. Um, whereas Deserbi has been able to sort of end the chronic Brighton problem of kind of never taking their chances, and also get results against uh, big teams. And you know, they won. Did they beat United at Old Trafford recently? Um, they drew against Liverpool recently. Um, so they're able to get results against the best teams in the country and there will be a real challenge for a City defence who haven't really been on it for for the last month or so or the last six weeks. So if City aren't careful, then, then Brighton probably will punish them because that is what they tend to do under De Zerbe. I mean, Brighton's games are always entertaining. They are the most... Goals in their games in the Premier League. Yeah. Do we think this is going to be a really high-scoring game? Because Brighton, by the looks of things this season so far, aren't really that great at defending, but are really fantastic at attacking. You know, we've got real outliers on here. 6-1 loss to Aston Villa, which you wouldn't really expect, but then a 2-2 draw with Liverpool. They're really... You don't really know what you're coming to get from Deserbis Brighton, do you? No, no, no. They've been they've been very, very good, apart from when they've been very bad, um, like at Villa. Um, and West Ham beat them as well, I think, set at home. So um, I think we, we should expect goals. Like, it, 
it might be nil-nil, but I would be very, very surprised if it's nil-nil because nothing about this game screams nil-nil. You've got two coaches who want to try and win the game and want to try and score goals to win the game. Um, and you've got two defences who, who aren't great at the minute. You know, City haven't been conceding many goals, but they've probably been conceding more than, than they should. Um, and they've certainly been losing more control of games than they would like. Um, so Brighton are a team that can capitalise on that in an instant and have players who can score a lot of goals. You know, they, they met towards the end of last season and um, just after City had won the league and, and Enciso scored from nowhere. Like, I think it won goal of the season. It was, like, a phenomenal strike. And they, they can't count on him on Saturday, but they seem to have an endless supply of sort of brilliant young players who can uh, fill that void and, yeah. and cause City problems. And like you say... Brighton won't have Enciso this Saturday. City will be strengthened by the return of Rodri. Does he come straight back in? I think he does, yeah. I'm sure Guardiola would love to make a point about, you know, if you get sent off, you can't come straight back into my team. But I think we've seen how important he is and uh, how sort of City struggle without him and don't seem to have a ready-made replacement. So I, I, I think he comes... He comes straight back in, and you would like to think, with with a point to prove and to you know to his teammates that he uh, he he owes them a bit. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be a nine out of ten performance, <laughs> like it usually is in these big games. Uh, the last time City lost three league games in a row was under Pellegrini. Mm-hmm. Pep Guardiola's ever only ever done it once in his entire career, and that was Bayern Munich. Is this a real disaster if City lose this game, or is it just? one of those hurdles you've got to get over. It is just one of those hurdles. Um, I think, you know, it would be one for the stat- statisticians to say, you know, first time he's ever he's ever done it. And, you know, I'd, I'd have to check, but I wouldn't be surprised if those three losses at Bayern were kind of after they'd won the league. Um, you know, where they've, they've already kind of done the, done the hard work. Um, yeah, it... I, Guardiola said when they'd lost to um, to Newcastle and Wolves and then they beat Leipzig and he said, you know, even if we'd lost here, I wouldn't have been too bothered. Um, and if they win on Saturday, they go top of the league. So as much as we've kind of been chewing them out for two weeks, like they're still in a, in a very good position. Um, and yeah, if they, if they lose, it is disappointing. Like they've, I think they've won every game this calendar year at home, so it'd be a, it would be a real turn up if they lost. Um, but it would go down as a loss to to a very good team, and it wouldn't kind of. I, I think it. I think when they lose, the rest of the league sees oh they can be got at. Um, but whether the rest of the league are good enough to kind of take advantage of that over thirty eight games is something they've not been able to do for like four of the past five. I mean, a loss would leave Man City quite noticeably behind Spurs and Arsenal. Say, if one of those gets a win, that would be five points. Yeah. We have seen City come back from bigger deficits before. Yeah. Does it really matter? Or well, at that, this point of the well, season, is it not? Yeah, that? well, that's it. You know, they, they very much remember being eight points behind in February um, to an Arsenal team that had five, six months of, like, really good results behind them. So... Um, yeah, the, I think these players are at the stage where they've seen it all before and done it all before. And, and kind of lest we forget as well, Guardiola was kind of suggesting after the Arsenal game that maybe they need to be behind 
maybe they need that bit of spark to to motivate them because it is very hard when you're in September, October to kind of think, oh, this this is a must-win game. Yeah. I mean, is is an expectation this season that City win the league again? What would be a realistic expectation? Because, you know, we all want City treble. Yeah. Do we think, because the double treble's not really that likely, <laughs> um, do we think a realistic expectation would be a league and then another cup? Do we think a back-to-back Champions Leagues is realistic at this uh, point? I, I think... They they remain favourites for the league title and they remain one of the big favourites for the Champions League. I think they've got to be looking to win at least one of those two this year. Um, I think if, if they don't win the league or the Champions League, it would have to be regarded as, as a disappointing season. Um, whether they're at the stage where, yeah, not winning the league, but winning the Champions League is seen as a success, I'm not sure. Um, but they have kind of turned their attention towards... Um, European success more so than than domestic success as kind of a, a club and also the supporters are more in tune to uh, the Champions League now so yeah but the the thing is you know it's very difficult to not play well in the Premier League and win the Champions League because if you're not playing well enough to win games every Saturday then why should you beat the best teams in Europe on a Wednesday so the, the aim always has to be to win the Premier League and then everything else kind of comes from there. And just to finish off this part, a starting 11 prediction for this Brighton game. Can we see any turn-ups for the books or do we think it'll be a pretty straightforward, write it down on paper? And yeah, yeah, already I, chosen his I think it would be pretty um, as expected. The only kind of outlier would be Julian Alvarez, so whether he is fit enough to um to play a part after being uh, i think he was in peru the early hours of wednesday playing for and played up 80 minutes for argentina so um you know when city were at west ham a saturday three o'clock kickoff after the september international break and alvarez started but after the game you know guardiola said we didn't really expect him to start and we sort of monitored him really closely and it was him that said no i'm good enough to play and uh, and so he started and, and played very well. But, you know, you, you can't expect just because he's done it once, he'll do it again. Um, and so you might want to take a, take less of a risk with that as well if they've got more players fit in, in those positions, which they have. So um, you wonder if Yalvarez might be, uh, this might be a time to leave him on the bench and then bring him back in for the, the Champions League in midweek. So, I mean, let's go. One through 11, if we uh, can. Yeah, so Edison, of course. Uh, and then probably Walker, um, Akanji, Diaz, Ake. Uh, no Gavardio. No, I sort of see Brighton as being kind of the... I know I know Guardiola will want to win away at Young Boys, um, but that is, on paper, an easier game. Um, and also, Guardiola more used to playing Champions League than, um, than Premier League. Than Premier League, yeah. yeah. So, kind of get your most experienced Premier League eleven, and that would probably be, uh, yeah, Rodri, and then maybe Kovacic and Foden, Silva, Grealish, and Haaland. Yeah, a strong, a strong lineup, even with yeah. miss, missing Julian Alvarez, who did 
just checking here, did play 78 minutes in Peru. Yeah. Which is never a nice game, <laughs> as we know. But Manchester City fans, thank you for listening to this episode of the Talking City podcast. We are now going to listen to Pep Guardiola's press conference, which Simon, you're about to shoot off to. Yeah. And we will join you again on Monday. But thank you for listening. guys hope you're well same process ever mics on either side just raise your hands let us know you'd like to ask a question we'll come to as many of you as possible we'll start with ian please hello pat um can i ask first how all your players have come back from international duty are they okay any problems injuries any problems except kevin of course yeah do you know an update on, on when we can expect him back no i don't know Facing Brighton, you've been extremely complimentary about them and about Roberto De Zerbi in the past as well. Is this the best version of Brighton that you've ever faced, you feel? Last season was really, really good too. That's why I qualified for European competitions. And for some decisions against them in the last games could fight for being Champions League. So, And they continue on the same level. When you come up against a team that plays in a, a similar way to you, how much more do you enjoy those games as opposed to trying to break down an opponent, which seems to be the case most weeks? No, we don't play similar way like them. They are unique for the way they play. So, but we have some patterns like we are aggressive without the ball and high pressing, and we want the ball. We want the ball like they want it. But uh, the way they play is just just they they do it. Mike, what is it about? Roberto De Zerbi, that you like, Pep? Uh, is a handsome guy? <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I like it. I think I admire him for the fact that it doesn't matter the, what, the team he plays. He proves that you don't have to be in a top, top, top clubs with a top, top exceptional players to make your team play in the way you like to play. So he came from a country like in Italy, like the way he plays is a little bit contra-cultural. And it doesn't matter what happened, playing Sassuolo and the teams that um, not maybe considering the top, top, top ones, was able, it doesn't matter, San Siro, Turin, Napoli. And I have the ball, I'm going to play, to play, to play. And uh, of course, after when the Shakhtar, Donetsk, uh, that was interrupted for the fact, unfortunately, for the war in Ukraine. And with, you know, it was a shock that have to win, you know that? And it was the same in Brighton, the same. So, uh, listen, I'm a spectator mainly as a, as a manager, and I enjoy a lot watching his teams playing. So I learn, I like it, and everything he does makes sense. So, and it's, it's not a surprise the success he ha his team has because he's playing deservedly. So even when he lost 6-1 against Tom Villa, he plays his own style. It doesn't matter after transitions and deflections and Aston Villa. Their specialist is top, top, top side this season for the quality the manager and the players they have. But they do, whatever they, it doesn't matter. So and tomorrow will be the example. So it will be a, one of the toughest, toughest tests we have of the season. And uh, yeah, we're going to try and go for it. You said that he's proven himself not at a top club at the minute. Do you think one day he will be at 
one of the biggest clubs, whether that's he, here or elsewhere. He's converting Brighton in a top club. Yeah, so Caicedo and McAllister gone, so Codwell, uh, sorry, Chelsea player, uh, Colwell, uh, gone and continue to play in a good level. So that means the patterns are there and the simple things, they do it perfectly and they have exceptional players, of course, but I had the feeling with them, the players are better. Uh, one last one for me, that in the international break, Calvin Phillips said that if he wants to be at Euro 2024, he may have to leave in January. Is that a conversation you've you've had with him? Is that a thought no. you, you share? No, no. International transfer window is over, uh, summer. Now we are here together. When when we need a game like uh, transitions or game like we need uh, something like uh, you know a little bit chaos or whatever, Calvin is perfect and for something you need to do. So that point today, today I see one or two players that can do better. That's as simple as that, the reason, no more than that. But until winter time, he will be here, he's here. And after, I don't know what happened with Calvin, with me, or any player. So when the transfer is open, nobody knows. Hi, Pep. Um, still in Brighton, you said earlier this year that they had the best build-up in the world. I don't know if you still think the same. Yeah. Um, and how do you mark that? Uh, more so difficult. Always they find the right man. It depends on the movements you do. They find the right man in the right position to have the man free. That's why I like, I love, I, I, I see the football in this way. So it depends how you attack. Tell me how you're going to defend me. And after I'm going to tell you how we're going to attack. It's not different if the winger jump to central defender or striker jump a central defender. So your pattern, your movement has to be completely, completely different. And and they read perfectly this kind of, of movements, everyone in his position, his positional game. And and it's a team like plays so slow, and after they're so quick, like a counter-attack. So having the ball play the counter-attack after being the game so slow, they play perfectly with the two rhythms. And and that's why the success. So it doesn't matter he plays, always had the feeling that he controls the game. After they can lose the game, yeah, of course. But uh, he can can do it. And I know I know you're, you're not a big fan of individual awards in football, but in ten days we have the Ballon d'Or, and two incredible stories at least: Messi with Argentina, Haaland here with the treble. Um, if you had a vote, who would you vote for? <laughs> you are so funny. Always I said that the Ballon d'Or had to be two s sections: one for Messi. And after look for for the other one, so Halle should be win. Yes or yes. So we won the travel because scored fifty, I don't know, million goals. But of course, Messi. If you tell me the worst, the worst, the worst season of Messi is the best for the rest of the the players. So both deserve it. So what can I say? So egoistically, I would say that I want Erling because he helped us. You know, to achieve what we achieve, I would love it. You know, but until he's in third, if Leo wins, they won the World Cup. So, so. But it's nice that uh, many, you know, many players for Man City will be there for the first time for many years, and and being in the challenging for these players won the the trophies. That make us so proud for all organization for all of us. Hi, Pep. Um, 
In midweek, Gareth Southgate was grateful for the cooperation that Manchester City yourselves showed with England about John Stones in particular, allowing him to play an hour against Italy. Do you feel the benefits now of Stones coming back, having got those minutes under his belt and played in such an important game for England? Because he's not injured. We were a little bit concerned. We spoke with Gareth. We have an incredible relation. Chiki spoke with him. Uh, after the game, uh, we text Gareth. Gareth to me and I reply him. So we were concerned because John had didn't play one minute in the last two months. He just recovered in timing on the national team. You never know what's going to happen. We didn't want because John had been an important figure for last season, for not all the years, but especially last season. And we could not use it. And, but of course, it's perfect for us. He got minutes for the rhythm, but what happened if he's injured? This was our concern. We transmit that and said, no, we're going to take care of him. We're going to minutes, not 19-19. He has done it. So we want the players to go to the national team from UK or from the other countries. It's Brazil, Argentina, Spain, whatever. So Portugal, Croatia. So it's perfect for them. They love to play for their country. So I understand it. I never said, I would never say, don't go there. And, but always they have to understand us, you know, when one player didn't play one minute with us, or a few, few minutes this season, for the last month and a half, two months, didn't play one, we were a little bit concerned, but fortunately everything was right and is ready for next games. And because of the congested schedule, the number of games you have internationally, all the players are having to play at the moment, is that trust between club and country the most important thing for you moving forward? You have to have yeah, that trust. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, I think when we can talk our our thoughts about anything about the managers for national teams or relation with the sport directors of national teams, sport director, it's perfect. Yeah, it's it's should be should be more quite often. It should be more you know conversations because maybe they can listen. Oh, this type of player never use this type of training because with the gym, for example, it's not good for our physio set. For they know them for many years. This type of exercises. It's always at the end we want both the benefit for the player. It's not, you know, we don't want it. Always the target national team ourselves is the player be fit and as be perform as highest level with us and with the national teams. And as much they talk, much better will be. Hi Pep. Um, just on the two games you lost, obviously Rodri wasn't playing. How important is it to have him back now? So important. Um, is there any concern at all that opponents will look at how Rodri got sent off in that game and think there's a, a way they can target him there to to rile him, or you convinced he'll have learned from that? He will learn. He sent off. He sent off. But because sent off, there is two faults for Rodri that the referee didn't apply the rule. Without that, he's not sent off. It's so scandalous the fault he got, and he was not. Uh, Punish and after Brody has to learn. Even the mistakes that we do and they do, we have to control emotions, stand up and go. But I'm pretty sure he will. He will learn. Can I ask about the your former club Barcelona and the Negreira, Negreira scandal? Um, what was your initial reaction to those reports coming out? And when you're at the club, did you? See when there is a, when will be the sentence? I will give you my opinion. And after now, President Laporte and all the presidents are innocent of all the people saying about Barcelona. Barcelona is innocent. President Laporte is innocent and, and you know, the opposite is proven. So wait and sit and after we see.
And can I ask, when you were at the club, did you see any foul play or referee reports that might suggest there was Sorry? any wrongdoing? Sorry? When you were at the club, did you see any sort of referee reports that might suggest there was any wrongdoing at all or not? You were so young, you didn't see this team how good play football, my friend. It was a scandal the way we were playing. We won all the titles because we were much better than the opponent. But you are so young. I will take I will send you videos to, to see.